we've been on this series, Storms, What to Do When All Hell Breaks Loose. And I think each of us have experienced different manifestations of hell breaking loose in our life. And really, storms are all subjective, right? It's, it's a lot like wealth for one person. A million dollars is a lot of money to other people. It's not a lot of money, you know. For some people, $50,000 is a lot of money. To other people, it's not a lot of money. It's all subjective. And the same thing is when we go through storms in life. When we go through th- storms in life, it's, <laughs> it's all subjective. So, so we've been looking at different storms because the Bible outlines, outlines three different storms that, that happen in the Bible in the physical, natural storms, but they have great symbolic um, symbolism to things that happen to us in our own lives. And we looked at the Jonah storm, which is a storm of disobedience. Jonah got into his storm because God told him to do something. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he did the opposite. And then we had the disciple storms. The disciples were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do and found themselves in a storm. And we learned that that storm was to stop God's will from happening in their life, stopping the word from performing in their life. And then we've seen Paul's storm. Paul's storm is, a, is another storm that a lot of us face is, is a storm where you're doing what God's called you to do, but those that are in your life and around you are making choices that are affecting you and causing you to go through a storm that you never intended to go through. And each of those, I can't recap on all those. Get the CDs back there, they're free. Um, but each of those, the Bible shows us how we are to endure and to come out of those storms. Because when you're going through hell, last week we learned, keep going. Right? Keep going. But today we're going to look at collateral damage. We looked at all the, nat- the outside storms that affect our life, but what we fail to look at is the collateral damage, what the effects of the storm. Because the effects of the storm can literally cause a storm to happen within. And a storm within can have effects on us long after the storm outside of us is over. In Psalm 61, 2, it says, From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. See, when we go through storms in life, we can get to a place that the storm is over. You know, people's moved on. They've prayed for you. The storm is over, and they think everything's all right. But there is still that storm within that is overwhelming your heart. And there's a place in God that, that you can rest. There's a shelter in God. There's a, there's a rock that is higher than you that you can find strength. The storm might be over on the ex- external, but internally, the collateral damage and destruction needs to be removed. Because literally, the storm within can do more destructive damage to you than the storm that you went through on the outside if it's not taken care of. It's natural to have emotion reaction to problems, but we can also depend on God's supernatural stability, strength, and peace. And that's what you need internally. You need stability. You need strength. And you need to know the peace of God that passes all understanding. So Jonah's internal storm. We looked at Jonah's storm, right? And we've seen how he got out of the external storm. We've seen how he got out of the fish's belly, right? Through obedience. 
and, and repentance and submitting to God's will in his life. But how did he get, how about his internal storm? Because he never, he never got rid of his internal storm. The Bible, the, the, this book of Jonah closes with him still wrestling with that internal storm. So let's examine that story a little bit more. Nineveh, you remember Nineveh? Nineveh was that wicked city that God told Jonah to go and preach to them repentance or they're going to reap the judgment of God because of their lack of, 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 because their sin was increasing so greatly. Nineveh, Nineveh, though, was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians and Israel were bitter enemies. So this kind of gives you a little bit more insight to why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah did not want to want, want Nineveh to be delivered. Why? Why did Jonah not want Nineveh to be delivered? Because he hated them. They were causing troubles for his nation. They were causing trouble for Israel. And he thought there could be nothing better. There could be nothing greater than seeing them wiped off the face of the earth. See, Jonah's disobedience to God, perhaps, was due to a strong national, nationalistic feelings that he had for his country. And we as Christians... We have to be careful. It's one thing to have patriotism. It's one thing to love the United States of America, but your Christianity, who you are in the kingdom of God, should always come first. It should always come first. See, what kept Jonah from doing what God called him to do was his strong patriotism. He had more allegiance to his country than he did to God. And there are things that are happening right now in our country that you have to be very, very careful that you don't become like Jonah. Jesus told, told us to pray for our enemies, didn't he? How many of you are praying for ISIS? No, we want them wiped off the face of the earth. We want them destroyed. And I'm not saying we should be foolish. I'm not saying we don't protect ourselves. But they deserve the grace of God just as much as we do. If Nineveh turned to God, could they be turned to God? If God told you to go to Iran and, and preach repentance to Iran, would there be something inside of you thinking, no, they deserve to be destroyed? Would that keep you? Keep you from doing what God wanted you to do? See, Jonah had these strong feelings for the Ninevites, and he, was, he was, was prejudiced towards them, and it created an intense re reluctance to do what God wanted, wanted him to do. So let's look at Jonah's response. How do I know that this is the way that Jonah felt? Because of this response. In, in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. I mean, those are some pretty strong words. Exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Is that the God you know? It's the God Jonah knew. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
So we've seen why Jonah, Jonah had reasons why he, he disobeyed God. And then because of the storm that it, it produced in his life, he became obedient. And when he became obedient and did what God told him to do, Nineveh repented and was spared and saved. But still, in Jonah's heart, he was displeased. Still, in Jonah's heart, he was obedient, but he wasn't willing. And how many Christians are obedient, but they don't have willing hearts? And you're thinking, well, what does that mean? It means like this. You tell your kid to take out the garbage. And they say, no, they don't do it, they don't do it. So they reap a storm. They get grounded. They take the cell phone away or the device away or something like that. And so under their breath, they said, okay, I'm going to take this garbage out. All the way out there. Were they obedient? Yes. But were they willing? No. And what, kids, what they don't understand is the same thing that Jonah doesn't understand is that the, the heart of God, the heart of God to have mercy and love and compassion. And what the kids don't understand is that when they are willing and obedient, they reap rewards that follow. And in Isaiah 119, it says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. There's a lot of Christians that are doing everything right. They're, they're tithing, they're reading their Bible, they're showing up to church, they're, they're um, serving in the church, they're being obedient. But in their heart, they're saying, okay, I'm doing all this stuff. Why does it seem like nothing's going right in my life? Because they're doing it out of obedience, but their heart really isn't willing. They're not doing it out of a love for God. They're not doing it out of a love for people. You need to be obedient, but your obedience comes from a willing heart. From knowing who God is and how much he loves you. And knowing that you have a gift from him. It's called your life. And that he wants to touch people in this community, around the world, through you. You're not a mistake. You're not a happenstance. You didn't just show up here and God goes, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize this one was going to show up. What, what, are they gonna, what plans do I got for them? I guess they're just going to go through life like a ping pong machine, bouncing off things until they finally get to where they're supposed to go. No, God has predestined each one of us. He has written your life out on the on his pages of his book. He has plans for you. He has plans for you that you haven't even tapped into, that you don't even know about. He has things for you that he can't even show you right now because you don't have the faith to receive it. What did we read just before, after worship? Uh, that, that how will he not freely give us everything else? He who did not spare his own son. You can't outthink God. You can't outdream God. You can't outbelieve God. Jonah was obedient in that, and that's what got him out of the fish, but he never became willing. Jonah preached to Nineveh, but he never allowed his heart to be touched with God's compassion for the people. And the book of Jonah ends with Jonah never getting it. 
never receiving the reward of his, of his obedience because he never had a willing heart and he had this internal, he wanted his life to be over. He wanted to die. Talk about internal storm, right? He wanted to kill himself because he didn't take care of his own heart. And then the disciples' internal storm. I mean, we can sum the disciples' internal storm up with one word. Remember? Fear. Fear. Mark 4, 40. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Remember, the storm came up, and Jesus rebuked them and said, How, how are you so fearful? Where, where has your faith gone? And what is the root? What is the root of fear in our life? We can find out in this storm. We can find out in this story what the root of fear is. Look what it says. It says in Mark chapter 4, 37, 38, this is all in that same story. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What is the root of fear in your life? That deep down inside, you don't think God cares. You think that God could care less about you. Do you hear it in their voice? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What, when you believe that God does not care about you, it opens the door to fear and it allows fear to do its destructive path in your life. Panic. We all understand panic, right? Panic is a sudden, overwhelming, unreasoning fear which overtakes a person in the face of real or imagined danger. Right? It's an emotion that happens. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that most people aren't dealing with panic on a daily basis. They're dealing with the subtle fear that's inside them. They're dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with worry. See, this seed, this seed of fear that irritates and distracts and keeps us from enjoying life. There's so many people that can't enjoy life because inside them there's that fear that something might go wrong. There's that fear that today's a good day, but tomorrow it's going to be raining. It's that fear that you're never going to get ahead. Many people have learned to put on a happy face and act like everything's all right when in reality they are dealing with worry, anxiety, and fear. Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. It just cuts a thought pattern in your mind where all your hope, all your dreams, all your desires drain into it and go the path of fear. When you can become so familiar with worry and anxiety that you don't even realize that you have become a slave to it, it's just the way you have always believed. It's just the way that you've always felt. 
So how do you know? How do you know? If this is something that you've always, this is just the way that you've lived life, how can you tell if that you have worry, anxiety, and fear in your life? Here's just a few simple, simple ways. Fear can be identified and fueled through certain underlying beliefs. I don't feel good enough. Have you ever felt that? I don't measure up. I won't have enough. I will always lack. I just have this pestering sense that something bad is going to happen. I won't succeed. I am doomed to failure. Others will reject me and disapprove of me. Is that something that you have ever thought? Is that something that has occurred, came up in your mind over and over and over again? Is this something, are these things that are keeping you back from doing what God has wanted you to do? Is this something that's keeping you from enjoying, enjoying life? It's because you have fear that's controlling your life. John, the disciple John, the one whom Jesus loved, according to him, said that, and he was one of these disciples that experienced a storm and was aboard the ship and was greatly afraid. He found out how to have victory over fear. Remember where the root of fear comes from? The root of fear comes from rejection. The root of fear comes from what? Don't you care, God? Don't you care that I die? Don't you care that I perish? And John found the answer, the answer to have victory over fear. In 1 John, the book which he wrote, chapter 4, verse 15, verse 16, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And I'm going to try not to talk about all this stuff, but this is amazing stuff here. God abides in you if you have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, and he in God. And we have known and believed. A lot of you know about the love of God. Right? You guys know enough about the word of God. You've been around church long enough. If I asked you, does, does God love you? You'll say, yeah. You'll say, yeah. But if I asked you if God likes you, how would you answer that? Does God like you? I remember, there was a pastor friend of me, mine, when, we, when I first came into the church. I mean, I, would just, I just fell in love with God. It, I was a new creation. Things, it's amazing how you realize the things that you once believed and the, one, the, weight, the weight that you carried and the things that you, you felt and the joy that comes into your life. And we were having breakfast, and I said, you know, I said, I, said, I know God loves me, but I really, really feels like, feel like he likes me. And he said, well, Chad, I know that God loves you, but I, I, I don't know if he likes you or not. I mean, he literally said that to me. It's, it's because we understand that God has to love you. He's got to put up with you. He's God, right? But the truth of the matter, he likes you. He likes you, and you are one with him. Have you, you might know about the love of God, but do you believe the love of God? Believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. That's amazing. 
Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this. So this love has been perfected in you that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all hell breaking loose. When you are experiencing things in life, you can have confidence. You can have boldness. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is right now sitting next to the Father, so are you in this world. I know you don't believe it, but at least try. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made, been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. See, that's, that's something we don't realize. It's, it's something we got to go back to is, is that God doesn't love you because you're lovely. He loves you because he's love. And he loved you when you were a dirty, old, whatever you were. Can't use those words in church. But he loved you. He loves, he loves the sit, person sitting on the bar stool right now. He loves the person waking up with the hangover. He loves them. He likes them. He wants them in his family. Look at how the mirror translation puts this. Again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. For anyone to see and to say that Jesus is the Son of God is to awaken to the awareness that we are constantly, continuously, seamlessly joined in oneness. Don't you love that wording? You're constant, continuously, seamlessly joined. And thus we have come to know and believe the love that God has unveiled within us. God is love. Love is who God is. To live in this place of conscious, conscious constant love is to live immersed in God and to feel perfectly at home in his indwelling. Verse 17, so now, with us awakening to our full, full inclusion in this love union, everything is perfect. Where's this perfection at? In your spirit. Where are you supposed to live from? Your spirit. Its completeness is not compromised in contradiction. Our confident conversation echoes this fellowship even in the face of crisis because as he is, so are we in this world. Our lives are mirrored in him. Fear cannot coexist in this love realm. The perfect love union that we are talking about expels fear. Fear holds on to an expectation of crisis and judgment. We love because he loved us first. So if you are being controlled by fear in your life, focus on the love of God. Focus on how God loves you. Focus on this union that you have with God. That he's in the boat with you. And he's sleeping. Not worrying about what you're worrying about. He's not concerned about your crisis. Why? Because he's got it under control. 
And if he, if he can kick back, if he can rela- relax, why can't you? Trust him. Do what he says. Do what he says. In faith. Jesus says, let us go to the other side. And then they became fearful. Don't you care if we perish? And he stood up and he showed them what? He showed them, this is how you take care of this type of storm. And he said, peace, be still. And he looked at them and said, why are you so fearful? Where did your faith go? Rest in the love of God. Perfect love. When you understand how much God loves you, fear has to flee. Fear has to flee. And whenever those whenever those. Those tormenting thoughts, that anxiety, that worry, that doubt, that, that fear rises up within you. Where your heart starts beating and you don't know what you're going to do. Go to the, back to the place of love. God loves me. He's my father. He's my Abba. He cares for me. He gave me Jesus. And if he gave me Jesus, he won't withhold any other good thing from me. Amen? We need to be established in this gospel truth, when the circumstances of our daily lives try to contradict this truth of our indwelling place in the Father's love and, the, and this established fact that he sees us just like Jesus, I can't spend a lot of time on this, but you read it, as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. I mean, there's a lot of you that won't even dare to say that, that I'm just like Jesus. But that's how the Father sees you. Why, why are you just like Jesus? Because you're at Karis New Testament Church this morning and you got enough gold stars next to your name? No, because you were born that way. You've been born again. Right? Why do my kids have my name and my features and Amanda's features? Because they were born into the Meekler clan. Right? They were born that way. And one day... My daughters will forsake me and take up a new name, unless I can find one that will take my name, a guy that will take my name. But, but, but then they will become one. Right? We are in this love union with Jesus. And when the circumstances of our daily lives try to contradict this truth of our dwelling place in the Father's love and the established fact that as that he sees us just like Jesus, the destructive nature of fear cannot take root in your life. It can't take root in your life. If you had a father, and, and I know that not all of us had great fathers, but if you had a father that you knew loved you, that you knew that if anything happened in life, you could run to them and that they would provide for you, that they would protect you, that they would ensure that you would be saved. That's how our Heavenly Father is. If you, Father, sitting here thinking, thinking that I'm a place of shelter, if I want my kids to run to me if they're ever in danger, if they're ever in need. And I will be there for them. I will do whatever needs to be done to protect them. I will give up my very own life to save them. Then you just have a glimpse of God's unconditional, passionate love for you. We can combat fear by arming ourselves with the Word of God. 
How, how do we know that God loves us? From the word, that he, his word, his Bible that he's given us. Look at what Joshua in 10.25 says. Do not, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Joshua 10.25. Psalms 27.1-3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumble and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. In Psalms, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Is that, think about this. Is this how you feel about God? Does he care that you perish? Yes, he cares. And he's there to rescue you. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Mark 5.36, Do not be afraid. Only believe. What are we supposed to believe? In God. In God? What's the word believe? What's faith? We, I mean, we make these, we're in church. I know you're supposed to really sound really religious and spiritual. It means to trust. We may try to make faith into something hard. It, it means to trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust in the love of God? Do you trust in God? John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. So if Jesus has given you his peace, you have it, right? Not as the world gives do I give you. What's that mean? With no strings attached. He's not an Indian giver. He's not going to be, oh, there you go. Oh, no. No, he gives it freely. His peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if fear is rising up, it's not of God. If all of a sudden you're about to do something, let's say you own a business, or, or there's something that, that you really feel God wants you to do, and all of a sudden, fear comes up, and, and failure is coming up, and, and, and all of a sudden, you become petrified, and, and you get ready to pull back. It's not of God. God doesn't lead by fear. He hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He has given you his Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us into all truth and show us even things that are to come. He leads by peace. See, the truth of the matter is so many Christians are so familiar with fear and anxiety and stress, this is what we tell people. Well, if you have a peace about it, you should do it. Well, it should be the complete opposite. 
For me, if I have anxiety or fear about it, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I walk in peace. Peace is my portion. I walk in peace. That opens the door to do a lot of stuff because I'm not fearful about everything. It's only when fear rises up, I say, whoa, fear's rising up. I don't, I don't know if I, I've got to talk to God about this one. That opens the door to so much more. Determine that you will not live under the tyranny of fear. Resolve not to be paralyzed by worry or dread. Let God's love, acceptance, and promises be very real to you and allow his word to live big in your heart. So the disciples' storms, the disciples' internal storm, what was deep down and paralyzed them in the midst of the storm was fear and not understanding God's love for them, that he he cares for them. And in Paul's storm, he experienced the same thing. If you remember that story, it would be very fearful. The first word out of the angel's mouth when he appeared to Paul in the midst of the storm was what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's easy to understand why Paul might be afraid. There were 14 days at, at sea. It got to the place, place where all the men lost hope of life. They gave up eating. They were dealing with some fear. And this wasn't the only time in Paul's life that he confronted fear. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, it says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, and we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. See, God comforted Paul in that boat in the midst of the storm by sending an angel. This time in Macedonia, God comforted Paul by sending a friend. That's why the church is so important. Because we'll bring comfort. That's why having, having believers as friends is so important. Because we can encourage and strengthen when, when your heart has fear and you have no rest and you're troubled from every side. God brings comfort through friends. God is committed to comforting us when we are down, but he does it in different ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Blessed be the God of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies and, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted, comforted by God. This is the same thing about love. We love because he first loved us. The only way that you can have the agape, God kind of love dwelling within you is by receiving it from God. The more you know, the more love you receive from God, the more you think and dwell in the presence of God and the, and the love of God, love just starts coming out of you. See, we think of love thy Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We think of that as hard work. It is hard work if you're trying to do it in the flesh. But when I, have it, when I experience the love of God for me, it's easy to love God. 
It's easy to love a God that is totally sold out for me, that, that did everything for me, that gave up everything for me, that desires to, to, to bring me into his family and to bless me. It's easy to love that kind of God. So that's easy. And then when his love comes in me and casts out all fear, and I don't have to worry about other people, what they think, or get them getting ahead of me, or blah, 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 then it's easy to love my neighbor as myself. But I do it through the love within me. And if you receive the comfort from God, it's easy to comfort others. And how do we comfort others? Not with us trying to have some kind of psychobabble or whatever it might be, but by the comfort that we receive from God. Do you see the union? We've been talking about that. We talked about that earlier, that union that you are in with God, that when you are comforting someone else, when you're loving someone else, God is actually working through you, bringing comfort to that person. That's amazing. That's amazing to think. Besides fear, there was another internal storm Paul faced during the course of his ministry, and that was despair. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Can you believe that the great apostle Paul said such a thing? That this man of faith would say such a thing? Paul was like you. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Life isn't easy. We, we've been trouble. There was trouble that came to us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure. And he says, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. What he's saying is, is we thought we were, we, we were giving up. We were ready to die. We didn't have the strength to overcome. These troubles came. Paul dealt with emotions. Paul dealt with the same things that you deal with. We must remember that our faith and our spirituality is not based on our emotions, though. You have to bring them under control. We use our, our spirituality and faith to deal with crippling emotions. See, he says you don't want them to be ignorant. See, that's the problem, is that when you get to a place where you're walking by faith, when you experience the love of God, people start thinking, well, nothing ever bad happens to Pastor Chad. Chad just has a wonderful life. And Paul, saying, Paul has said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Just because I come up here and I speak faith and I speak God loves you and that, and that he wants to deliver you from your storms doesn't mean that I, I'm exempt from storms. Paul is saying the same thing. He says, don't be ignorant. My life isn't always smooth sailing. We've, I've been to places where, where I, Paul's saying, I'm spitting all over. Paul's saying, I, I've gotten to places where I was just ready to die, to give up. I had no strength. I had no ability. And so many people can look at other Christians that might be a little bit mature in the Lord and say, they, God just loves them more than me. No, they have just learned to not allow their emotions to dictate their faith. To not allow fear to cripple them because they have a hope in Jesus Christ. 
So you can look to God and allow Him to bring comfort to you, encourage you, and to strengthen you. In addition to dealing with fear and despair, Paul could have gotten very bitter and resentful towards the people that made him made the bad decisions that put him in that terrible situation. We talked about that. But instead of Paul becoming bitter, resentful, holding a grudge, we've seen that Paul prayed for him. And the angel answered his prayer. The, the a- angel message in Acts 27, 24 said, God has granted you all those who sail with you. He didn't say, God has granted the life to all those that sail with you. No, he, has, he granted them to Paul because Paul prayed for them. Paul was, was, was interceding for them. And how many of us get, you know, God rescue me and show these these heathen, a lesson. That's how we get. But Paul w- w- did not allow the nature of the world to get to him. The nature of Christ caused him to pray and for those that got him into the very situation that he was in. To not forgive those who have hurt you can keep an internal storm brewing in your soul even if the external storm is over. There are people that are resentful and have unforgiveness in their life. And the person that wronged them is dead and gone. And you're still being controlled and captive by that. You have this internal storm. And how do you know if you haven't forgiven the person? Run into them. Mm. All you got to do is see them. Or have someone bring something up about them. Don't you love it when you're having a conversation and, and you, someone has wronged you so bad and someone brings up a conversation about that individual and talks about how nice they are? Augustine said, if you are suffering from one man's injustice, forgive him, lest there be two bad men. We should forgive when someone has hurt us, but we also have to walk in common sense and biblical sense. Therefore, not setting ourselves up to, un, to be hurt unnecessary. That doesn't mean you just go out and you, and you become friends with them again. I put it on Facebook last night, uh, quote. It said, sorry, if I can remember this, sorry equals forgiveness. Sorry does not equal trust. Change behavior equals trust. And that's true. You can forgive someone, but that doesn't mean you need to hang out with them. That doesn't mean you have to set yourself up to be hurt again. But, but you just got to set yourself up through forgiveness and releasing that where they're no longer controlling your life. Another temptation Paul could have faced was becoming bitter towards God. Becoming bitter towards God. So many people, when they enter a storm, they become so bitter towards God. Why? Because they're not established in love. They don't understand, they don't understand that, that men have free will and, and, and men do things that God never desired. Paul realized that he, that he could not interpret the love 
or goodness of God based on his circumstances. You cannot base God's love or his goodness, or if he likes you or not, on the circumstances that you're going through. Paul, he grabbed hold. He grabbed hold and clung to God like Abraham, who says, contrary to hope, in hope he believed. When all hope is gone, you still have one hope that never changes, that is always faithful, and that is Jesus Christ. That is God. No matter what your circumstances are, you can cling to that hope, the rock of our salvation, our refuge. And so many people hate God right now because of things that happen in their life. And they don't realize that just as that, those instances, as those things that happened in your life broke your heart, they break the heart of God. If you focus only on the external storm, you may be ignoring what could be the most detrimental storm of all, dealing with the collateral damage in the storm within your own soul. So as, as we continue on this, on, on storms, and, and, and how to deal with storms, and what, why do storms come? Storms come, we're going to look at this next week, storms come to keep you from getting where God wants you to be, to hinder you, to paralyze you, to stop you from living. But this concluding thought here, that for a lot of people, the storm is over on the outside. We, we look at your life and, and you look fine. But on the inside, there's that collateral damage. There's that destruction that is left. There's that brokenness that's in you. There's those, that, those grudges and hurt feelings and unforgiveness and bitterness and, and God doesn't, doesn't really care about me. He doesn't love me. And those can be more destructive than any external storm that you're carrying, that you're experiencing in life. And this morning, you can release that. As we close in prayer, you can make a deliberate choice that, God, I'm going to rest in your love. I'm going to release these attitudes. I'm going to release this these baggage that I'm carrying. Jesus, it says that we cast all our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that this world is not how you designed. But in the midst of this fallen and broken world, your light shines bright. Your love overcomes fear. Fear is cast out through your love. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would bring the comfort of God this morning. That this internal storm that so many are facing, we just speak peace, be still. Receive the peace of God. Receive the peace that Jesus gave, not as the world gives. That even though all hell broke, is breaking loose, even though your life didn't go the direction that you were planning, planning on it to go, we have a hope in God in that he is in the redeeming business. 
And when things are broken, when things are damaged, when things aren't the way that God intended them to be, He redeems them. He redeems them. So, Father, we just ask that you redeem our brokenness this morning. That you would repair us. That you would make things new. That you would allow us to dream again, to hope again, to see that we have a future in you. And that life's not over. It's the best is yet to come in Christ Jesus. We go from glory to glory in Jesus. And we receive this now by trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.